Hello, Free Money family. It's Sloan coming to you with another fabulous edition of the only podcast on the planet that combines institutional-grade investing insight with actual gardening tips. On this episode, we're talking with cryptocurrency entrepreneur Martin Froehler about what's possible in the realm of decentralized finance. His company, Morpher, operates a 24-7 trading market that allows users to trade hundreds of stocks and cryptocurrencies with zero fees, infinite liquidity, and up to 10x leverage. That sounds pretty cool. So how does he do it? Well, listen on. We ask him whether he sees the traditional finance world converging with crypto as popular apps like Robinhood already offer stocks, stonks, and coins in one interface. We also ask how he pulls off the unlimited liquidity thing and dive into the all-important question, how does he make money? Then as always, we take questions from listeners, talk about what's been going on in our various projects, and deliver our tried and tested gardening tips at the end of each episode. If you'd like to ask a question for a future episode, shoot us an email. You can reach out at freemoneypod at gmail.com with whatever's on your mind. You can refer a guest, suggest a topic, or just tell us you think the podcast is neato. That works too. That's about all for me until the other side of the disclaimer. Don't forget to leave us a review, share the podcast with a friend, and think about doing something nice for a stranger. Bye. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients of Invest Vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted, and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast, where we do it live all the time. We uh, do. <laughs> I, you I really like nailed that podcast, intro, Sloan. You really just crushed it. I uh, thank you. I, I so on the last podcast, you know, later on in the segment, we always talk about what's going, what's been hard for us. Yeah. Uh, and I, you were like, I can't sleep. Um, this podcast, I'm coming in with a record low sleep number like uh, zero is that number zero? Like zero. Oh like zero. my goodness me yeah oh my I, I got the double me. vaxes uh oh, flew in covid man. at once and boy i don't need to sleep anymore i'm like mostly nanobots yeah no the the nanobots do give you that little extra juice um yeah but that's too bad how are you feeling <laughs> we're doing this still though right we're doing this still we're doing i mean like we're not we don't give up we wouldn't we would never give up on a podcast. We will um, always I, look to free the money for you guys, even when we aren't sleeping. And this is an early show. This is the drive yeah. time show. The so. drive time radio. Yeah. It, well, and, you know, I, I will say, like, you know, in my in my sleepless night, I was like, what would put me right to sleep? I'll go read a bunch of 2022 investment outlooks. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's our next show, Sloan. That's our yeah, final yeah. show of the year. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, wow, we're actually doing a good job hyping the hyping the show. I think we uh, are. Yeah, <laughs> like and subscribe. 
like it's like comment share subscribe um and i don't know maybe we'll send you a picture of uh shark bait the pirate if uh if you're really well behaved <sighs> can we get a signed autograph from shark bait i think i would actually uh, like to have that yeah that might be hard i think he disappeared into the fiverr the land of fiverr yeah I, I, i'm sure i'm sure he's somewhere out there on the blockchain <laughs> i think that's right i think there's nfts you can purchase uh i don't have a long ash baliloquy today ash baliloquy <laughs> You're I actually started thinking well. <laughs> the off the top. I'm like, what should I call off the top? And I was like, Ash Baliloquy. <laughs> um, anyway, but you know, we've had we've just had the Pineapple Express here, which is what normal people used to call Atmospheric River. Mm. The Atmospheric River, um, for those of you that don't know, dumps half of the water on the west coast of the america um that's where we get half our water atmospheric rivers mm. yeah and so we used to call call them pineapple express because it would take the storms would pick up all the moisture out over hawaii and they would come gotcha. in and they would drop it on that us makes sense. but i just wanted to just off the top like we've just had this big thing people are probably tweeting photos of like 10 feet of snow in tahoe right now that's, that's saw, what, yeah it's it seems absolutely nuts it's I nuts mean, yeah total dump but I went and gazoogled it for a second, and it these things deliver 10x the moisture as the Mississippi River. And they are 300 miles wide, and they are just beasts. Um, hmm. And that's why thinking them of as a, as a river is probably the, pro the appropriate thing, rather than Pineapple Express, which most people think of as marijuana. I did think that you were like, oh, yeah, we just, uh, you know, you haven't slept, Sloan. So, you know what I did? I, you know, I lit up first thing in the morning. <laughs> it um, is legal. It's legal tender here in California. And here in New York. But, you know, th that language is super evocative for what that is. Because I think one of the things we struggle with in climate change is that it's so abstract. It's yeah. so, like, you know, oh, cool, temperature changing. You know, but, like, when you have a one-off atmospheric event, that can deliver 10x the rainfall of the Mississippi like that. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if it's one off or not. I've literally never heard of it. But if you have this big, you know, uh, you know, kind of stream in yeah. the sky. Yeah. Um, that can I mean, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, we got I mean, people in Florida will laugh at us, but we got three inches of rain. Thought that was a big deal <laughs> in 24 hours. People in Florida are like, Kim, man, we got 20. You know, yeah. Our good friend Jason Voss literally said that to me when I mentioned that we're <laughs> getting three inches of rain. He was like, "Oh, that sounds pretty serious." Let me tell you about our shit. Um... <laughs> oh yeah, that's like yeah. I've literally caulked my car so that I could like float it to the to the general store, exactly. like in the Oregon Trail. Oh, uh, which makes me picture that classic meme of the dude with the American flag outside in the rainstorm. With oh my the giant God. wind coming at him. If you can picture it in your head. Anyway. America the beautiful. America the beautiful. America. There's nothing more beautiful than that. I've got uh, good just news. like a guy. Yep. Let's, Sorry. I mean, no, this is good yeah. news. I always I always think of it as like I have like quality news rather than good news. Mm. But I have interesting news. Okay. So a couple of bits of news. And this is the blockchain episode. <clears throat> yep. And, One of many. And oh yeah, we've got two. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I have some blockchain related news, but I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with the BlackRock. And mm. the BlackRock sounds like blockchain. Yeah, it does. 
It was all designed, Slon. Um, mm. BlackRock mm-hmm. is announcing they are intending, uh, I think they listened to the Free Money podcast because they're taking their proxy voting much more seriously now. Uh, oh, wow. Good for them. Um, yep. And they have two initiatives they are going to pursue aggressively, they've just announced. Um, one is to push companies to have more diverse boards. So they're going to go and push companies. They say boards should aspire, which isn't the kind of language that invokes teeth. Um, but they should aspire to be 30% diverse with at least two female directors. Um, that's a... that. I guess is a step in the right direction. It's definitely yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, like, I, full I'm diversity. picturing Andy Bahar rolling his eyes right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah. Of course, I get, you know, was just on this podcast as the CEO of As You So, who, you know, have been in that fight forever. Yeah. I mean, terrifying that that would actually represent progress. Most companies got to that level. Well, look, BlackRock is coming out and saying boards should not be all white dudes. That's basically what BlackRock yeah. has announced to the world. So Instead, kudos. they should be they should be thirty percent non-white dudes. Exactly. Which, like I mean, like the category diverse. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Are on we that. now giving them shit? Is that what we're? Doing? <laughs> I think we're officially giving BlackRock shit for this. I feel like trolling BlackRock <laughs> is like one of my main qualifications. I think they can handle it. I think they got thick yeah, skin they're... over there. It's, just, it's actually not thick skin. They just have a wall of money in front of them that yeah, blocks exactly. are. from being the world's most humongous asset manager. <laughs> exactly. um, anyway, so boards should not be white dudes, according to BlackRock, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a true statement. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's good for mm-hmm. them. And then mm-hmm. they also, which I think is pretty cool, want companies to um, disclose their net zero aligned business plan. Mm. And so they're going to be pushing companies to do that which I thought was a pretty interesting um, push too, because it's like, we all see these net zero commitments, but we don't see a lot of like plans. So, yep. Yeah. That, I mean, like, honestly, just that disclosure is quite meaningful. I mean, there are all these great initiatives that are out here with like, you know, carbon tracker and, you know, uh, TCFD and so on and so forth. That'll, I, I think TCFD will go into like really granular detail. Like does the, does the board have a point estimate for carbon in 2042, hmm. uh, that they use in making their carbon plant in their carbon plant? Like, do you have an internal price for carbon? Like right. actually pretty granular questions oh, that's good. Um, that like help you kind of tear out the commitments and, and move past the like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. They're going to do it. Don't worry about it. That's what the, we'll the pension funds are saying. We're going to get to net zero in 2050. Yeah. We got a beat on this. Yeah, we're going to do a lot of things by 2050. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, by 2050, I'm going to be jogging uh, every morning. I'm going to be sleeping every night. I love the, we got a beat on that. Um, what is a beat exactly? <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just Sounds like it's from it. a cop movie in the 70s. <laughs> I got a beat on that. Um, that's called, okay, my next bit of news comes mm. to us from the Australias. Uh, Retail Employees Superannuation Trust, which is one of the larger trusts in terms of membership. It's actually bigger, I believe, or second to Australian Super. Um, And if you recall, this is the superannuation fund in Australia that was sued by the membership for not taking climate change seriously, Mm. um, which is the kind of event that pushes you to think creatively about how you invest. And that is being reflected in this bit of news, Sloan, where they are saying that they plan in 2022 to start investing in cryptocurrency. Hmm. Um, and that would make them the first super, superannuation fund to invest in the crypto asset class uh, to date. 
That's really, you know, I think that kind of gets to a thesis that I associate with you, whether or not it is actually your thesis. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Let's hear my like, thesis. My internalized Ashby voice uh, <laughs> says this, uh, like the, you know, th this sort of notion that like ESG and crypto, you know, though not necessarily the same, kind of fall into this innovation category, yeah. right? And if you start doing one, you start doing the other, you start doing all the other stuff, right? Um, I like, and... I think you've, I feel like you know me, you see me, so... <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> yep, yep. Like, yep. I mean, let's just get some innovation happening. If we need to, you know, if it's like, let's at go any cost. Yeah. Well, from crypto to carbon credits, that's not that far. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Next bit of news comes from Mubadla. Say that I, correctly. I'm still like not over that. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah, I know. Until you like hear somebody real say it, everybody wants to say Mubadala. Mubadala, uh, yeah, exactly. I feel like Sushin and are being like, it's actually Mubadala. It's Mubadala. I think it's you'll find it's pronounced. Um, the managing director of Mubadala, Khaldun Al-Mubarak. Now that one I don't know if I got right. But um, he is also announced that in 2022, he will be investing in the crypto asset class. And hmm. I quote, I think it is real. So... <laughs> He thinks it's real. And they, you know, he says this is a business that had 200 billion worth of value two years ago and it's 2.5 trillion today. All these things aren't wrong. It is real. And those valuations are correct. Um, and so while many people are skeptics, he says, I do not fall into that category. Now, hmm. Mubadla, since it merged with IPIC and Adic, the council, is one of the more kind of um, influential and big sovereign funds in the world today. And so now we're having superannuation funds in Australia, large sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East, basically saying, all right, it's time to get in. And, and in part, the reason I've selected all these stories is like, we probably need to like dig in and understand this space a lot better for the, the listeners. I know, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, for universal owners, for people who are, you know, kind of, I mean, like, if you think about it, right, so many pension funds out there are just like, we own the market, um, right? And how do we define the market? We add up what everything is worth. Uh, <laughs> and then a good you know, point. We, we, we go from there, um, you know, and like, at, at a certain point, ignoring crypto becomes silly. I don't know if it's 2 trillion or 10 trillion or 50 trillion. Well, it's um, also like, you probably own it already because so many of the yeah. companies out there are are dabbling and like if you're playing in venture capital like undoubtedly you're like invested in the blockchain in some way shape or form because all these new companies they may not put it on their website but yep. they're using distributed ledgers and DAOs. um d yeah that's not buddhism that is DAOs. decentralized yeah, that autonomous organisms organization but, but yeah like I, I mean there's there's a huge difference between like there i mean there's like a company that like used to make long island iced tea that rebranded to being about the blockchain in 2017 i mean you know like there's there's that category of like dabbling in blockchain and then there are people who are actually building stuff so let's talk to someone who's actually making a thing oh my on god the blockchain is the guest uh, here or are we having we a have, snafu I, we, yeah the, the guest is here our technology is working flawlessly i am the one who's not working flawlessly <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, Martin Froler. Martin Froler, founder of Morpher. Hi, Ashby. How are you? Good to see you, ah, Martin. Doing so well. 
Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. We love having you on here. Can you hear us? Because we are notorious for having bad connectivity. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can you hear us? You... I can hear you now. Awesome. Beautiful. Awesome. All right. We, well, we have like lots of problems, but we also solve those problems quickly. So that's the good awesome. news. Yeah, we're we're you know we're in the midst of like kind of you know kind of creating our own native tokens so that we could do this a little bit more seamlessly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like I, I think that you know you're a great person to talk to because you know for a lot of people who are new to DeFi, right, and new to crypto, probably more than a little bit confused by this whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like something that kind of operates completely independently from traditional trading and investing. Um, you know, but more for seems like from logging on and using it, you're aiming squarely at Robinhood, which also does both crypto and, mm -hmm. and equity. So, you know, maybe you could kind of start by outlining what you're doing, how you see it fitting into the space um, and what's meaningful about it for, uh, for you. Yeah, sure. So you're right. Uh, we're aiming to become something like a global Robinhood. So Morpher is um, a, a platform that empowers its users to trade uh, stocks, commodities, and cryptocurrencies, uh, pretty much everything um, on the Ethereum blockchain via virtual swaps. Uh, and for the users, that has the big benefit that trading comes with zero fees and with infinite liquidity on all assets. So essentially, Morpher is a, is a cryptocurrency protocol on the Ethereum blockchain that observes the prices of exchange-traded assets, such as the Apple stock or gold or Bitcoin, and creates virtual copies of these assets on the blockchain. And via our own native cryptocurrency, via the Morpha token, our users can place bets on the price development of these markets. Um, now, in, in practice, that means if you have 100 Morpha token and you bet them, say, on the Apple stock, um, they become 110 token if Apple goes up 10%, or they become 90 token if Apple goes down 10%. So we replicate the economics of trading the Apple stock but denominated in our own native cryptocurrency. The underlying stock itself is never actually traded, and that's what makes the Morpha protocol unique. Uh, so our users uh, don't actually trade Apple when they bet Morpha token on Apple on the platform. Uh, they simply place an instruction into a smart contract, into a blockchain protocol. And the protocol accepts that bet, their instruction, no matter what. Um, that means that the trade goes through, even if you're the only person in the world wanting to trade that particular stock at that point in time, there is no one who could stop you from doing it. And that's one of the big benefits. Wow. So you don't need someone on the other side. You don't even need a broker. You don't need an exchange. It's just you and the protocol. And the protocol is solvent by design simply because it mints new token. It creates new token to settle the trade for you, or it burns token if your bet has not been successful or correct. So there is no counterparty anymore. And that means we open up the space of trading and investing uh, for everyone and 24 seven and without uh, having to charge any fees. So that's in a nutshell what Morpher wow. is doing. And yes, that's right. So we're, uh, we're functionality wise, we can be seen as uh, something similar to uh, a broker like, like Robinhood. So a discount or challenger broker, zero fee broker. Um, or um, more from a European perspective, like a CFD uh, shop, a CFD vendor. So from the user perspective, it's pretty similar to that. Uh, the big advantage of Morpher, though, is, as mentioned already, there are really no fees and there is no one standing between you as the trader or investor and the product that you want to trade or, or buy. Um, so it's decentralized, it's trustless, and it is 100% uh, transparent. 
and it is also available globally. So that's that's really our goal. We want to empower uh, the 80% of the global population that currently does not enjoy access to Western financial markets. And I'm thinking of people in, in Latin America and in Africa in some parts of Europe and in most parts of Asia who can only ever dream of uh, owning or trading a Tesla stock. This is one. This is amazing, Martin. So first of all, I heard you say virtual swaps, infinite liquidity, <laughs> no count, no counterpart. I mean, it's like you've invented the use case of of blockchain and and cryptocurrency that I think like all of us in the investment world was like, how, how are we ever going to use this? Right? Like you yep. like crystallized it in a way that's pretty wild. Um, I, I will come back to the free trading because Sloan and I have done a lot of talking about Robinhood not actually mm -hmm. being free. Um, but we'll come yeah. back to that in a, in a couple of questions. My question for you is kind of like, just give us a history of, of you. Like, how the heck did you get to a point where like, you're like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to like try to almost replace the entire global option market with a token that I invented. Like, there's a lot to learn here. Like, who are you? How did you like figure out how to like write a Morpher token? And like, mm -hmm. give us a bit of history here so we can kind of put you in context and this company in context. Yeah, sure. So um, I've traded um, stocks since I've been in high school. So that has always been my passion. I've started trading US stocks at the age of 16, um, which was back then a very burdensome process. So in Austria, I had to use a bank uh, and they would charge me an arm and a leg for, um, yeah, for fees commissions, essentially. Uh, to allow me to to trade U.S. stocks, and then they had access to only a very limited number of U.S. stocks, so I could only choose from a very small universe, um, and that was yeah, uh, it was exciting back then, but it was also to some extent a frustrating experience. So trading and investing has always been a passion of mine. Um, I've uh, then started uh, studied mathematics in Austria, so technical mathematics. Um, and joined a quantitative hedge fund after my graduation. Uh, I wrote a lot of uh, quantitative trading algorithms, uh, especially for futures markets, but also for US equities. Um, I've later moved to Switzerland for the same fund and built up a quantitative research firm there from scratch and uh, trained and recruited a lot of uh, novice quants uh, from, from ETH and other great uh, technical schools in, in, in Europe. And that was also the time uh, when I had the idea for my first startup. So uh, back then at Quantix, uh, no, no, at, at Idealab, at uh, the Switzerland uh, company, we were a small uh, company in Switzerland, uh, not with a big name. And we had a lot of applicants uh, who wanted to become quants back then. Um, and even if I had been the best recruiter in the world, I would have to send away a lot of talented people who end up then working in different industries. So that's a clear inefficiency. Only very few people end up becoming uh, quants or end up working at quantitative hedge funds. And many more are talented or able to write quantitative trading algorithms. So I wanted to build a company to solve that inefficiency um, and essentially empower everyone on the planet with free software and free market data to come up with quantitative trading algorithms in their spare time and connect the best trading algorithms, the best performing trading algorithms with capital from institutional investors. And in order to realize that idea, I uh, moved to Silicon Valley with my family for four years and uh, built my first startup there in the Bay Area. Yeah, um, Love it. Which was a great, <laughs> great experience. Um, and all the time working uh, at Quantix, the number one request of all our users was, can I trade my own trading algorithms on Quantix, so on my previous company? 
And I always had to tell them, sorry, no, you can't. We can only uh, work with uh, institutional investors, with accredited investors. Um, the minimum investment in futures trading algorithms has to be at least a million reasonably, uh, simply because of, of uh, high initial capital requirements uh, that is, comes with futures trading, essentially. Uh, so that was the number one request and the number one pain point of uh, everyone uh, contributing algorithms for Quantix. They wanted to trade their own systems. And um, after letting that sink in, I realized that, yes, uh, they face the same problems that I faced all the time when I was trading the markets myself. Uh, markets, so trading and investing, it's, it's really a suboptimal experience today. You don't get the level of access to the markets that you would like to get. So you only get what your broker uh, deems uh, you are worthy of trading, so to say. And there are many, many markets that come with steep initial capital requirements, futures markets, for example. You really can only participate there if you have institutionally sized pockets. You can only trade when the exchanges are open, Monday to Friday, nine to five. And I'm like, really? In the 21st century, markets should be open 24 seven for everyone. You cannot easily short the markets uh, on, on traditional equity markets, at least. You have to go through options or other constructs. You have to borrow the shares and only that's only possible if the broker lets you and so on. You cannot leverage the markets. And on top of that, you always have to go through middlemen and you have to pay a lot of fees uh, to trade and you have the risk that the middlemen that you put your trust into are defaulting on you. So to summarize it, trading and investing is really a suboptimal experience. And I thought, what would trading and investing look like in an ideal world? And in an ideal world, I would have access to all the markets globally 24 seven. I could trade without a counterparty, without depending on someone else. Um, I could short every market. I could leverage every market. Um, I could start with as little as $10 or trade as much as uh, hundreds of millions uh, with no difference, so to say, without uh, creating slippage or suffering from slippage and, and market impact. And trading would be free. I would not have to pay to trade the markets. And that's in a nutshell, uh, the, the vision Ow. that Morpha wants to bring into, <laughs> into the world. Fixing trading and investing for good, um, trading as it should be, essentially. That's, that's so cool. I mean, you know, as a bit, when I was like thinking about what we wanted to ask you, I, I logged in and made an account um, and, you know, started a like a 10x leverage position in Solana, which is one of the cryptos, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, if you go to Morpher and you're, you know, I, I guess it seems like I, I was trying to do it again in advance of this. And it seems like you've uh, walled off American. Uh... <laughs> yes. Um, that's unfortunate, and uh, we're working on that. So uh, we, we really seriously hope to empower users from the U.S. as well. Uh, it turns out that democratization and decentralization of uh, financial uh, systems is good everywhere in the world, with the notable exception of the United States and North Korea and a few others. Yeah, yeah, we so... like it. We like it. Uh, <laughs> you're, look, just to, as a follow-up on that point, I, I think it's yeah. like what you're building is a incredibly powerful hedging tool for institutional investors 24 7 mm -hmm. infinite liquidity now I, I still like don't know if we've explained how the heck you do this but you can imagine like the option markets are the biggest markets on earth and there's going to be a lot of losers if <laughs> you know you swoop in and you're like now it's 24 7 it's free and it's infinite and there's no counterparty mm -hmm. the blockchain that you've built is the counterparty um, mm -hmm. you're going to disrupt the flow of capital. And so, you know, America That's in particular plan, yeah. will take a hard look at you before letting you into the system. Yeah. yeah.
you're gonna piss off a lot of chads in the process uh at various trading desks i mean like the because you know to, to put on this kind of exposure all the time you gotta you gotta know your chad you know call up your local chad at, at whatever trading desk and you know convince them to make a market for you um yeah you know one of the things that really interests me from reading the white paper is like you know part of the way that you do all of this is that you collapse the complexity of trading and, and implementing and you know all of this into delivery and you know kind of destruction of these tokens right as that happens but like how how do you actually make sure that those tokens correlate to uh the economic value that a position creates right and that there's like mm -hmm. a liquid and ready market for them um yeah that's a good question so the one thing it, it is correct so that users uh within our ecosystem trade with infinite liquidity and with uh with no fees so uh, while you're trading on morpha uh, everything is uh, perfect so to say but when you uh enter the system or when you exit the system uh, you need to either purchase token or sell token and in order to do that we still depend today unfortunately on two-sided exchanges or marketplaces for price discovery of the morpha token um, and they come with some kind of finite liquidity. However, uh, a good step towards not infinite liquidity, but at least foreseeable and almost infinite liquidity uh, are protocols like Uniswap uh, with automated market makers, uh, where you instantly can see or see in real time how much uh, uh, you could withdraw in terms of token and what to, what you would get for that. So that this is, to some extent, it's guaranteed liquidity uh, of, of the token. Uh, and uh, in a decentralized way again. So this is not uh, not something that is, uh, again, dominated by centralized players, but this is simply a liquidity pool against which you can exchange Morpha token anytime, uh, any place, anywhere, so to say. Um, of course, it is our goal to constantly improve that liquidity pool uh, in order to attract later on uh, high net worth individuals, institutional investors as well, who want might want to use Morpha as, as you mentioned, as the perfect dark pool. Um, but yes, so the, the higher the liquidity in, in such protocols, of course, the better it is. And this will come uh, hand in hand with, with uh, continued adoption of, of the protocol uh, by more and more users globally. That will automatically increase the available liquidity uh, for the token itself. And maybe the second aspect of your question, yes, um, the position on Morpher does not, uh, natural, um, not necessarily translate one-on-one -on -one into a, a dollar position that would do something similar. So if you uh, trade or invest in the Apple stock with Morpher token, uh, it does not necessarily translate into the same gain that you would have had with dollars uh, if you had traded the same in, in uh, stock at Robinhood, simply because the price of one Morpher token versus the dollar is free-floating. Morpher is its own currency. So the Morpha token may appreciate against the dollar or it may depreciate against the dollar. So it might not necessarily translate one one on one into uh, the dollar profit that you would have had otherwise. However, with that being said, the more mature the Morpha ecosystem becomes, so the more users we have in our ecosystem, the lower the volatility of the token versus uh, traditional fiat currencies will become. So in the steady state, which is uh, what we call the state of our economy in say 10 years from now, uh, when we have onboarded hundreds of millions of, of users globally, uh, the Morpha token will become more or less a stable coin at the end of the day. Until then, it will be volatile, but uh, we are convinced, provided we have a product that finds adoption, that this volatility will be similar to uh, any other cryptocurrency, so upwards pointing in terms of um, uh, expect, expected value. So it, it will have a positive sharp ratio 
So it will be a source of additional alpha for our early users. I mean, and, and, and also, I guess, important to point out that the, you know, the competition, right, if you're a retail investor is often buying some kind of exchange traded instrument like a levered ETF, which has obscene fracking error. Uh, yeah, and fees. <laughs> uh, you know, so like, I mean, if you're looking at a 3x position, you know, and the, and you're, you're going, oh, well, you know, I might, I might have some basis risk in the, in the Morpher, eh, you know, I, I'm curious because, you know, I, like I, I run an investment, an asset management firm and, you know, love to invest in obscure agricultural banks and other weird assets. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, like, I think, you know, when I go to, to think about how much liquidity for that I would be able to get, I have to do basically back of the envelope calculations, you know, yeah. on like what kind of volume there is in it and whatnot. Can you give us a sense of how that Uniswap liquidity range has evolved over time? Yeah, at the moment it's it's in the still uh, around hundreds of ether, so it's it's not not very big at the moment. Uh, we're a nascent uh, uh, ecosystem with Morpher, so to say, um, but it is our goal to increase that significantly in the next uh, one to two years, and then even institutional size bets uh, will find the liquidity that they need on Uniswap in order to get in in and out of the the token uh, ecosystem. So we're working on that, we're preparing that, and the, the more uh, adoption our system finds and, and the more users we have, uh, the easier it's going to be for bigger users as well. Initially, our clear focus is on consumers. So the goal of Morpher is to empower people from uh, countries where they simply don't have any, any ways or means of accessing uh, financial markets and especially US or European stocks. So the most efficient and best financial markets to provide these people with access. So our, our focus initially is clearly on consumers and only then uh, once we have a big enough ecosystem around consumers, we will focus more on um, institutional investors, family offices, high net worth individuals. It's picking up, I'm just curious. So you, you mentioned Apple, like right. And you mentioned like giving access to US stocks. I know this, this is a bit off topic, but how many stocks can I trade today on, on Morpher and like, is that changing over time? And, you know, is there any sort of yeah. constraint on like it, the number of things I could trade in terms of like different asset classes? Yeah, so at the moment we support uh, roughly 600 stocks. So pretty much everything that's in the S&P uh, 500 and the NASDAQ 100. Um, we have about 100 cryptocurrencies, uh, the major Forex uh, pairs, cross rates. Uh, we have the first commodities with gold and silver. Um, in principle, all we need uh, to create a market and make it infinitely liquid for everyone is a data feed. So we can even uh, turn things into markets that do not exist as tradable markets yet. Wow. So for example, we could offer um, a real estate price index indices by zip code uh, in the US. So you could hedge uh, against uh, real estate prices increasing in your uh, area if you're saving to purchase a house, house at some point. So we can literally turn anything that comes uh, with data as a data feed. Uh, we can turn literally anything into a market. The only important uh, constraints are it must not be arbitrageable. Uh, so the data stream needs to be fair. Uh, we need to have access to the data as early as it's released and no one else um, must have access before us because otherwise they could arbitrage it. Um, and it must not be easy to manipulate. The market so this is one of the reasons why we are not listing small cap cryptocurrencies or penny stocks i would encourage you to investigate um 
this is going to sound dark, but mortality, um, the, the whole concept of like longevity for pen, public pension plans that have defined benefit liabilities, insurance companies, like they're always trying to find ways to hedge their longevity risk. You know, if like yeah. we invent nanobots, which Sloan and I are convinced are um, already injected in our bodies. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, this but, is a very, this is a stringently anti-vax podcast. No, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> it's just totally dear kidding. Lord, no. Dear Lord, somebody's going to take that out of context, Sloan. Yeah, just FYI, we're the worst people. Uh, <laughs> dear right. God. But I forget what I was thinking about. Anyway, longevity. That is a, yeah. uh, one of the hardest to hedge issues. People are out there buying life settlements and they're yeah. like really trying to find ways to manage the longevity risk in these long duration plans is that do you feel like that's like an outcome you know might not be next year but when you get hit that steady state maturity like you're actually going to help us yeah. create hedging instruments for this stuff definitely i want to create every market uh for which there is demand uh on the planet so uh and that is uh, not easily not trivial to predict not easily manipulable so these are the, the constraints that we have uh but if there is data we can turn it into a market yeah? and if there is demand for it we have a reason to do so so, mm. how do you make money? <laughs> That's a, a, a very good question yeah. <laughs> uh, because trading is really free on Morpha. Uh, so there are no fees uh, for trading. We don't make any money from uh, from commissions or, or anything else. We also don't sell our um, our order uh, feeds um, to other parties. We do not depend on that. So the way we make money is comparable to how other crypto protocols make money. Uh, or incentivize their miners in that case. So Bitcoin and Ethereum also function in a way that uh, every block that's added to the chain uh, creates new Ether or new Bitcoin, which are issued to the miner who successfully added the block to the chain, so-called Coinbase transaction. So that's a structural inflation rate, if you will, um, on Bitcoin or on Ethereum. Uh, that's becoming less and less over time. So Ethereum just recently uh, had a very deflationary event. Their inflation rate went down a lot. And Bitcoin has its famous block halvings or ha block halvings of the block rewards um, every four years or so, uh, where they also lower their inflation rate and thus Bitcoin becomes valuable more and more over time. Um, in our case, it's similar. Uh, we just issue a tiny amount of, of newly minted Morpha token every day for the, for the company. Uh, and the company sells these uh, newly issued and minted token into the market. Uh, the tiny amount is 0.015% of the total supply every day, which would compound to 5.6% of newly issued or minted token per year, uh, which is nothing compared to the increase of M2 that the US just had. So <laughs> we're actually way more deflationary than the United States dollar with our uh, policy and it's actually hard coded in in the smart contract, so it can never go above that. It can only become less over time. So, so basically, I mean, like I think from a corporate finance perspective, it's traditional to view your own stock as a currency that you can use to purchase things and, and do whatever. I mean, this seems like a kind of direct evolution of that concept, right? Yep. That's very very cool. I mean, like you know, I, I wonder. I mean, like I, I guess. You know, naturally, I want to trade, uh, you know, the release of new free money podcast episodes, which is a totally non-manipulable uh, thing. I, you know, I, I know that you have a big institutional investment community that's clamoring, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to hedge that. A lot of, a lot of people asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Because a, a new episode of this podcast can have disastrous implications for a pension's overall risk tolerance. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> he's like legit scared of. Yeah, he's like, are we, what, what are we getting into here? I'm trying to make the regulators happy, not mad. Uh, <laughs> Mark, we promise that we will not make you look bad with the regulators or the institutional investment crowd or any, or any other people. We are, in fact, decent, semi reputable folk. Uh, we're very grateful to you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Martin. Been really great. appreciate it. Send you a long awesome. distance high five, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to catching up and hearing how it's going. Sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. All the best in the meantime. All right. Bye. 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 Yeah, yeah. the you know crypto like I I, I think when he dropped the Uniswap liquidity thing, something big clicked for me mm. um, because I don't know what that would correlate to in terms of the decile for liquidity of single name, like US equities. Um, but like thousands of thousands, thousands of Ethereum per day, right? That's a thousand times, you know, call it 4,000, 5,000, whatever the heck it's at today. Um, you know, I mean, that, that, that is already like, you know, for a nascent protocol, uh, or you probably wouldn't like me characterizing it as nascent, a relatively young protocol. Yeah. Um, you know, you're as liquid as, you know, most regional banks in the United States. Interesting. You know, you know, for me, the takeaway from that one is like Martin is like a super thoughtful, genius human being. Um, <laughs> and so, like, yeah. it was really fun to hear him kind of explain this. But I'm also just like most of like, you know, the you start to get a little bit smarter on something and you realize just how little, you know. Yes. And it's like, my goodness, for this whole community of institutional investors, like we're all going to have to get reprogrammed on like, mm -hmm. what is like, you know, I, we've all heard of smart contracts. We've obviously all heard of tokens and like, you know, there's weird stuff happening out there in the NFT land. You can get a monkey, you know, <laughs> there's like monkeys for sale. You got to explain yep. this to and me. And they're bored. So. They're really bored monkeys. <laughs> it's like, what is happening out there? And then you listen to Martin and you're like, oh, wait, like, this world that is producing monkeys is also producing an infinitely liquid option and derivatives market that will help you, <laughs> you know, that will help you hedge mortality risk, which is like the hardest to hedge risk that pension funds face. And yep. so, you know, it's maybe a nascent protocol. I think, he, you know, at one point, I don't know if, he, you know, he's like past the millions of trades and it, it's growing quickly. Um, and I think he's going to survive. I think they just had a big round of funding. And so... Um, they're kind of off to the races here. And if they ever be get back into the U.S., it'll be really off to the races. It's just fast. It was really fascinating for me to like, hear him tell that story. Oh, same. I mean, and, and like, I, you know, I think the pain point too, like just from a, like a talent into the markets perspective, um, you know, there's really something to the idea that like the barriers to entry for creating your own sophisticated trading strategy are too damn high. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, I, I think it's been historically the case that like people who are interested in investing get cautioned away from taking active uh, portfolio management approaches to stuff because the transaction costs are so significant. Um, and so as a result, there are all kinds of people who just don't really develop that skill set. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I don't think it's necessarily the case that like we should all be, you know, figuring out new and interesting ways to speculate. But I'm sure there are people who would be really gifted at that who you know, are sitting out unfulfilled trying to figure out how to route calls through a contact center. 
um, yeah. you know, where they could be like, you know, focusing on, you know, all kinds of other cool stuff that would be really valuable to the community of folks that, you know, are currently paying huge intermediate, huge fees in the form of intermediated OTC trade exactly. with like all the worst people <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> the other thing to just like, he, he kind of mentioned it offhand, like no counterparty risk, like institutions spend a huge amount of effort yep. trying to understand who the, who the counterparty is, will they pay? And like, we don't have to go back far. New Zealand super fund, I think they lost $200 million position because a counterparty failed in, I think it was in Portugal, failed mm -hmm. to live up to, um, uh, you know, one of these swaps or I actually don't know what the heck it was, but it was related to an, a derivative and a hedging instrument. And, and like they had operated in an environment where like they got it through a major investment bank and it was, you know, in the counterparty was a big regulated bank and there was an insurance contract to actually protect it. And, and even with all that, like there was a bankruptcy and then the central bank of Portugal chose not to, um, you know, assign the liability from the bankrupt entity to the new entity. And so they lost it, you know, hundreds of millions mm. of dollars gone. Well, that's the kind of thing that freaks people out big time. And if you're now saying this coin is stable 10 years from now, so it's not like you have huge amounts of underlying volatility of the Morpher token. And then you're literally just like relying on an autonomous blockchain to either yep. create or destroy Morpher token based on this, you know, unarbitrageable index. That is like a pretty big step change in the world of managing risk. Yep. I mean, yeah. And I, I, I would also note, you know, at, 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 on top of that and like really directly springing from it, it recontextualizes the OTC option, uh, yeah. right? Like why do those get created in the first place? It's usually because whoever your counterparty is has a bunch of risk they're trying to offload. Yeah, I was uh, about it. You know, yeah. And then they, they call around and then they're like, who can we, you know, get to take on this like, you know, payer swaption or whatever, um, you know, but th this sort of, you know, protocol, this sort of approach to this thing takes that mechanism of OTC deal making and makes it, you know, puts the idea generation not in, in offloading risk at some intermediary, um, but instead it, it puts it on the client side with the person who, you know, is actually really thinking about the long-term outcome of the pool of assets. Um, yep. Anyway. What he's building is harder than what we're building. <laughs> I, I did the sound effect. <laughs> I heard the sound effect, but I was talking over shit. Um, uh, it's fine. Like, I mean, we did a great job there. We I did. No, you job. nailed it. It's the time where we talk about the things that are hard that we're trying to build, which don't even come close to writing blockchains that blow up option markets. But it could still be hard, Sloan. So what are you working yep. on? I, I mean, uh, you know, I would say like, I'm totally just cribbing yours from the last episode. I'm working on getting to sleep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you've had zero sleep. Zero sleep. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think like, you know, it, it's, I, I have this from time to time when I'm excited about stuff. And like, I, I think it's just kind of part of my nature to be fueled a bit by adrenaline. Um, and when like stuff, you know, I was, I've been reading this great book about, you know, long time listeners know that I, I think. I'm always like, how do I not market this like firm I'm starting in a way that sucks and is lame? Um, yeah. And I got recommended an awesome book on marketing. So I, you know, I sort of went to bed with too many things to think about, I think. Um, I like this book, Play Bigger. 
Have you ever read mm. that one? There's a little book tip. No. Yes, ma'am. Oh, man. It, I'm totally going to become one of those people who reads marketing books all the I time now. No, like, you can do this one on the Audible, you know? Play a bit. Where, the, uh, the, the one I've been reading is called Obviously Awesome, mm. which is about positioning. Okay. Um, I might check it out. You know, but yeah, I uh, I will check this out as well. I mean, what is hard for you? <sighs> I always find it hard to balance the like intense um, internal pressure to put out dumpster fires <laughs> with the obvious need to focus on long-term stuff. Yep. And there's the, the thing about building new stuff is like, there's always some fire that's burning. And so I, what I find is like a really interesting skill that you build as a founder of companies is like, which fires can I let burn without mm -hmm. burning the house down? Um, and still like put the foundations in place to build the big, you know, the skyscraper that we all want to build. Um, that, that to me is this like constant pressure and maybe it's accentuated because I split my life between like commercial activities and academia, like mm. academia is like, you need to spend four hours thinking and writing. It's like really. What you want to put out the fire? That's our, that's our fire. We love that fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tradition. <laughs> Wait, you know, you, you, you're, we, we can't track the invoices that we sent to that company and like the money hasn't hit the account. It's like, I'll get to that. I need to go write a paper, you know, and it's very hard to do that. Anyway, that's what I find. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, like that sounds pretty tough. Um, I mean, and, you know, I, I think probably, you know, for those out in the, in the audience that are dealing with hard stuff of their own. Smooth. masterful transition smooth. smooth audible sound effect no big deal um the like yeah this is dear ashby this is the segment where we answer questions from listeners um about what's on their minds uh and it can be anything from uh you know would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck um you know to like uh what should i tell my cio to get them to start thinking about innovation a little bit differently um, you know, would you say that's an accurate characterization of the scope of questions that we've got? I think they get, they go pretty random sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, look, you ask it, I'll attempt to answer it. Um, I don't do a lot of research, uh, <laughs> not for these questions at least. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like, I will hip shoot. Uh, I will hip shoot uh, whatever you said me basically. I mean, and, and like, you know, we got some good stuff like the, you know, if you want to, you know, if you have our, our emails, I, you know, hesitate to just put them on the internet, but uh, freemoneypod at gmail.com if you don't. Um, mm. And that goes straight to us. And we will get you on. We also have a Twitter handle, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah. At freemoney42069. Uh, As popularized very... by Time Man of the Year. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Is that too soon? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You you know, I, I um, speaking of Elon Musk, and then we'll get to the segment. Uh, I, I've, I've been like, why do I have this urge to rewatch The Fifth Element? Um, Interesting right? urge. Why do Interesting you? Interesting urge. I, you need to like clue me in. Well, so The Fifth Element is an, you know, an epic, you know, late 90s sci-fi movie. And Elon Musk, for that picture for Time Man of the Year, cut his own hair in a way that looks exactly like the villain from The Fifth Element. It's true. Um, yeah. Now that you say it. Yep. It, you know, and like, and so I, you know, I sort of, was, I, I mean, damn him. He did it again. You know, he played one of his social media mind tricks and now I'm like planning on watching the fifth element sometime in the next couple of days. I love that haircut. 
first of all, I almost wonder <laughs> if I have that haircut. I was looking at myself in the video, <laughs> and I was like, "You're looking a little high and tight there." Uh, yeah. My wife still cuts my hair um, because of the I don't know why the COVID. I guess it's just easy. Frankly, she figured yeah. out how to cut hair, and now that's freaking easy. <laughs> um, but it's like that hairdo, um, and then also Jack's beard. You know, from Square, it's like these yeah. are the like people that don't get candid advice from their inner inner circle. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or or don't see you know like the initial like that's a little weird as a negative thing. True, true. You Although know? Jack does look like a wizard, like he he looks like like weird Rasputin. Yeah, like, good one. Yeah, that's you know, better kinda, than weird. Yeah, he's kind of. I mean, I don't know. I the 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 Silicon Valley men, you know, like the there's like the seven men of Silicon Valley. Like there's Mark and Elon and and Jack and all those. The folks. first name crowd. Yeah, with the with the four letter first names. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, they, they just they've jumped the shark a long time ago. Um, What's our first question? This is a great one. Okay, um, what can mentors and mentees do to increase their chances of success? actual I do, practical advice i do like that one i remember reading that one i even like jotted some stuff down on this one um, I think, so i've had like um coaches so i was an athlete um in college rower i've had bosses and i've also had um supervisors so kind of and i've mm -hmm. been those things bosses supervisors and coaches back the other way mm. and in my experience it's like finding something to work on with your mentor or mentee mm -hmm. um there's context really matters when you're giving like advice about somebody's life and there's nothing like actually existing with that person for a little bit to like get a better sense of what their strengths and weaknesses are. I also think like if you're looking for a mentor um, or a coach or a supervisor, um, this is going to sound strange, but like I would avoid those people who have natural gifts in that area that you're going after in particular mm. coaches, mm -hmm. um, people who are naturally gifted athletes generally just don't understand why you suck at the sport. But the people huh. who just like use deliberate practice to get up to the top level and are like just making the varsity eight or the, you know, whatever, like those are the people who end up the best coaches, you know, because they like truly dialed in the process of becoming excellent. Um, yeah, that's just that's like the that's like a the, really provocative point. Uh, you know, like I, I mean, I have been a, an athlete a, a bunch too, and like my my sport is skiing. The other wasp sport, I guess we don't, you know, we don't have tennis, rowing, and skiing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're also starting a fencing league. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. That, that <laughs> I mean, hey, that sport sounds cool as hell. Um, yeah, but like I mean, the 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 best coaches, yeah, we're all people. Like, I mean, my best coach in high school blew up both of his ACLs and had to relearn how to ski from scratch. Yeah, um, you know, I like that's like a, a super real uh, and very kind of pregnant observation for. Um, yeah, well, like most of us aren't the like the Olympic gold medalists, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're gonna like just make that varsity boat, or maybe we're gonna be happy to make the JV. I don't know, like what wherever you are in life, right? But it's about like moving from, you know, a, a position of like not being great to trying to be great. Well, like find those people that made that trajectory and partner with them. And it could be as a yep. writer. It could be as a comedian. Like my gut tells me like, is Seinfeld a great coach around comedians? I don't know. Like the dude's just too freaking good. 
um, mm, to like, mm-hmm. you know, and they started so young, but like, if you find somebody who's been like grinding on the road and is like, well, this is what you do with that crowd. And this is what you do with this mm-hmm. crowd. And you know, when somebody says something like this, this is how you respond. Like they have just more of that ammunition because they sucked for longer. Yep. Yeah. 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 They can, they can take like B materials and turn it into an A outcome. Exactly. Um, it's like this podcast. You know, we sucked. People don't realize that yeah. like prior to the 41 episodes that you see on here, there's like, I don't know, 50 of just me and you. <laughs> like, like when I looked at the list the other day and I was like, oh, I think like we've basically put out now the ones where we started adding guests. Mm-hmm. But there was like so many where you and I just like had no format. We no, yeah, no, <laughs> no format, no audio editing. Uh, no, it, no, it was like just literally a phone call, basically, that we would put online <laughs> and expect yeah, people to listen to. And, and like, and and hey, that's that that's how the process starts, yeah. right? You know, like uh, sucking at something is kind of the first step of being good at something. Um, and I do appreciate know. that you did not put those sucky podcasts on our free money, you know, pathway. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how this, this question is like, uh, you know, a nuts and bolts investing question. How do you think about the disconnect between public, public and private valuations in tech companies? Why does it exist? I mean, this is particularly pronounced right now because there's a huge sell-off yeah. in tech companies in the market. You know, it's funny. This tech used companies to be the other private. It used to be the other yeah. way, right? It used to be something yeah. called a liquidity premium. And that like you Great would point. demand to like get a higher rate of return for the, like the assets that you were buying in private markets, which is another way of saying the price would have to be lower, right? Because mm-hmm. you couldn't mm-hmm. get liquid fast enough. And it's almost like there's a liquidity. Um, I don't even know which now there's too many premiums and dis. Anyway, it's like, like a yeah, like liquidity discount. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liquidity discount. Thank you. Slow. Um, and, and part of it, I think has to do with like, and we, we looked a lot of this around the long-term stock exchange where we wanted companies to go public. Like companies are staying private because they can focus on the long-term. And like not get, you know, the hedge funds after them and all the stuff that kind of comes with being a public company today. And, you know, like public markets are much smaller than they were 25 years ago. We've gone from like 8,000 to 2,500. And like part of this reason is it kind of sucks to be a public company. Like it's great for your employees. They get more liquidity. It's great for your investors. They can get in and out. But ultimately, as like the management of one of these companies, you're now managing on a quarterly earnings basis. You're you know, being criticized and, and second guessed and like, it's hard. And so this whole world does seem to have shifted into this private ecosystem and all of the institutional investors have actually been pouring money into that ecosystem now. So it's not like, you know, like if you really want to sell some of your shares in your private company, you can now. So it's, it's like that incentive to actually go public is now going away. And so the whole thing feels like it's just moving into the private markets. Um, and it's probably going to stay like that until we change some of the rules in public markets to like, I don't know, limit the, you know, short selling or, I, I, you know, who knows what, what the SEC is going to do. But um, I don't know if I answered your question, but that was an- I, I feel like there's a kabuki dance that people, that companies have to do in order to go public that they just don't when they're, when they're private. And yeah, like the, and it's so wasteful. Like it's, you know, basically the whole thing is you got to produce a 300 page document that says nothing yeah. and commits you to nothing. Um, 
This last question is is from me and Claire, uh, gaming Sweet. up for a very important venture. What is your Costco strategy? Uh. <sighs> yeah, uh, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Is that? <laughs> uh, sorry, that's my. I've that's like a class. Go out there, get, yeah, I can say you're one hundred ten percent exactly. <laughs> uh, so the way that we think about it is like you you don't want to take the children because you just hit two x. Oh you, yeah, you hit the two x. Like whatever you're going to spend, you're now spending double. Um, remember to bring some bags because like the, for whatever, for whatever reason, they're like, Hey, do you want some like random ass boxes? Costco does not do bags. Okay. Yeah. So bring back, yep. bring your own bags. And then you're not like, you know, doing Jenga in your car as you're like trying to fucking keep the different cans and jars. Um, also, one thing I say to myself if I was walking through there is things like, um, I don't need an industrial blender for my smoothie mm. i'm tempted because they do a very good job of like demonstrating the industrial blenders many capabilities those vitamixes are great we have one yeah <laughs> see <laughs> see? <laughs> see this is but see we've been wandering in the woods without a strategy no, so here know, we and, go here we go and like yeah i mean uh, you know i i at one point went there by myself and was like oh yeah i want you know i'll try like a new mexican salsa oh yeah and now we have like 70 four ounces yes. of like this shelf stable guacamole sauce, like avocado sauce that shelf stable. Interesting. Yeah. It's a little, <laughs> well, so that goes to my next little bit of advice, which is like, you don't need eight gallons of Listerine. And if you do buy eight gallons of Listerine, you better feel like have a lot of storage space in your garage or something, which I don't have. Yeah. I don't have enough. Like I don't have like an empty container for my, so storage safe guacamole <laughs> and my you know nine jugs of listerine um i mean like if you don't have that how are you saving for retirement it's a good point yeah no it's yeah, a good like... point the other tip which i know isn't relevant uh, to you and claire but is wine so if, if people are mm. into that world of mm, the vino mm -hmm. costco wine is outstanding and cheap relative to yep. what you would ever get at the Safaway. Um, yep. or whole foods. So remember I mean, that. I, yeah. I feel like, you know, for, for the vegan non-drinker Costco, the fact that Costco still provides value to us is a real testament, you know, cause like most of what's, what they have there, that's like, you know, the big ticket things are like Wagyu beef. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, or like all kinds of other, you know, really high end cheeses or, you know, whatever. That's true. Kind of thing. That's um, true. You know, but. They also have all of Tapenade. They also, when I walk, mine, when I walk in, I'm just blasted with technology. It's like the newest TVs and you're like, yep. Jesus, that TV looks rad. Like, it's like, what, you know, what if instead of a wall here, I just had a screen? Oh my God. And like the quality of the picture in the Costco, yep. like you would get it home. It would never look that good. But for some reason in the Costco there, you're like, my God, that frog tongue. Cause they've always got the in best videos on there to demonstrate <laughs> Ashley's just like bringing this, you know, picking up a Costco hot dog and like sitting in front of this, like, oh my God, where do they oh, get dude. this content? Courtney and I, last Costco trip, no kids. We still stopped by the the snack bar on the way out and we got a bunch of pizza, some churros mm. and an endless beverage. I mean, the deal yep. you get on the food at the Costco, neat, like that's the big tip coming out of here if you want free money. Date night in the monk household, you know, the and you can get like, these pizzas to go. Like you can be like, Can I get two whole pizzas? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no problem. Pepperoni, bam, bam, bam. That's nine dollars. 
It's like, yeah, that's terrifying. That's horse lips uh, kind of activity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um I guess you know we're we're headed towards a close. What's your garden tip for uh, uh, I was perusing Better Home and Garden magazine mm. and I felt like I found a tip that speaks to me and you. Um mm. which is this. Better Home and Garden, and it actually may be Better Homes and Gardens. So sorry about that. I believe yeah, uh, I believe that's right. The, it's plural. For the people we're checking. Uh, the multi-homeowner crowd. <laughs> exactly. If you've got multiple homes and multiple gardens, this is your <laughs> magazine. Um, don't clean up everything in your garden in the fall, which feels yep. very freeing. Um, yep. Because, first of all, there's a lot of beauty and different grasses and things like that growing up. But it has like also a nice effect on the soil. And as we know, garden tip number two, bonus tip, it's the soil that matters the most even more than fertilizer in like the quality of your plants. And so these people who hire gardeners that clean absolutely everything, the minute it hits the ground actually over time end up with worse soil. Yeah. So in order to protect your soil, like let that stuff lay there and decompose a little bit and get into the ground. Yeah. Don't play the short-term game. You got to play long-term. And, and, and if you keep it around, like that's habitat for insects too. That's a great tip. And when people are like talking shit about how you haven't mowed your lawn or cleaned up your leaves, you could be like free money podcast. So I'm giving free you ammunition. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be like, look, Hey, I'm just harvesting alpha left and right here. You know, you don't understand. <laughs> You're not innovative enough to grasp it. Um, yeah. Well, it's nice I mean, to turn a know. tip into an insult pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, you know, you know, if anybody's sitting around in their lawn talking to the neighbors, make sure you heckle your neighbors. Make sure bit. you do. Uh, make, and make sure you are sitting in the lawn. That's tip number three. Because <laughs> you want if you are gardening, you want to be out there a little bit and just be like, what's up? What do you think? You know what I mean? Get some feedback. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about these plants, man? Hey, what do you think? I, I'm totally like that with my cotton <laughs> plants. Like, have you seen this stuff? Have you seen a cotton pod? It's so cool. Oh, uh, good times. But yeah, that about does it for us this week. Uh, it's nap time for Sloan. And get some get some rest, Sloan, because we got our big yep. year-end review this Friday. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But to the listeners out there, thank you. We love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Let me get rain on them.